This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. I'm at the nail salon. I'm at the grocery store. I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Wait, she's at the nail salon and the grocery store? I'm at the combination nail salon and grocery store. Groceries through Instacart delivered to my door. I don't have to choose between acrylics and the grocery store. Hi, everyone, and welcome to The Modesty Files. We're diving into the world of Christian fundamentalism and interviewing women who left their churches. It's Zoe here today hosting this week's episode, and wow, do we have an episode for you. Julie joins us, ready to share her experience growing up in a fundamentalist Pentecostal church in the South. Julie's story is quite unique, as her congregation was run by a female pastor who we'll refer to as Jane. Younger members of the community were asked to call her Granny, and she preached the Armageddon and practiced speaking in tongues. But Jane went farther than your typical Pentecostal preacher. She encouraged adult men to get vasectomies, forced teenagers to clean offices at night, and manipulated elderly community members to put her in their will. Julie will walk us through Jane's narcissistic behavior and ultimately what it took for her to escape this high control group. Topics in this episode include abuse, neglect, suicide, and other mature themes, so listener discretion is advised. So it's time to strip that modesty cover, put on some comfy pants, and let's jump into this week's episode of The Modesty Files. I'm not ashamed of who I was, and I'm proud of who I will be, was scared to open up, was scared what people might think, but now I'm embracing my story. So welcome, Julie. I am really excited to have you here on our show today. Thank you. I appreciate this opportunity. I'm really excited to dive into your very wild, crazy church story (laughs) that is your life. (laughs) So I would love for you, if you want to go ahead and introduce yourself and just give a little bit of an overview of, of who you are, that would be great. Perfect. So my name is Julie, and I was introduced into the church by my grandfather. My parents actually lived in Georgia. My mom had gone to college and met my dad. And so she was never involved with the time frame that my grandfather moved his family down and began to go to this church. So he began to put some pressure on my mom and dad to come and visit them because without my parents understanding this, 
the basic belief of the church was that you had to be a member of this church to be saved and also to be a part of the rapture. So the pressure is the fact that they believed, you know, we're living in the end times, air quotes, and a very heavy part of evangelical ideology is the fact that there's a point when Jesus is going to come to the earth and he's going to rapture a few select members of righteous people and take them away before the earth descends into chaos. And for anybody that's like not familiar with this, if you want like a humorous way to kind of experience it, I recommend American Dad has an episode and it's called Rapturous Delight. And it very humorously tells the story. (laughs) Well, it's funny because my understanding, I grew up Catholic. We did not have this belief of the rapture. My first introduction to this idea of like the end times and like being ascended up into heaven was in 2010. 12, I think it was, whenever the world was supposed to end. Okay. I just remember like kind of believing it, but also not really thinking it was real because people then started like ascending those like sex blow up dolls into the sky yes. and like being like, the rapture <laughs> is here. Like, so my experience is that it is kind of comical to begin with to believe that like, like Jesus is just going to like lift you up from your, from wherever you are. Like, what if you're on the toilet? Like, what do you, do you go to heaven right? with no pants on? Like, I don't exactly. know. Exactly. So it's kind of exactly. to begin with. Exactly. And that is why I love that particular episode because all of the parishioners of the church lose their clothes as they're going up and they're all clutching their private parts, you know, trying to. (laughs) It's hilarious. Anywho. That is so funny. You know, it's just kind of that mindset to me of the evangelicals, especially the more fundamentalist of them, is that there's only a certain amount of people that can make the cut. And that just really powers their thinking. It just really drips down into the groundwater. So my grandfather is putting pressure on my mom and dad. And I do remember we came and visited. I, I remember being about four. And it's this huge sanctuary of this church. And the church service went on forever ever. And I I think I remember turning around and saying to someone as a four-year-old, the church I go to, it doesn't last this long. Yeah, And my mom was so embarrassed. And so my mom and dad were kind of on a spiritual quest themselves. So they're hunting around, they're going to all these different churches, kind of looking for, I guess, their brand of spirituality. Mm -hmm. And of course, they don't find it. So I'm now six, I believe. So my dad gets an offer of a job and we pack up from our lovely little home in Georgia. And I remember I was not happy about this because I think as a child, I picked up on how odd it was. Mm -hmm. So we moved in with my grandparents and we started attending this church. And I was able to go to, it was a Christian school. And I had first and second and third grade there as well. So I got to escape some of the horror when we first were here. Mm -hmm. And initially with cults, what they do is they love bomb. It's one of their Mm -hmm. tried and true practices. Mm -hmm. You know, they surround you with love. You're interesting. 
people are uh, paying attention to you. So of course, this is all, you know, my mom and dad are, you know, they're young, a young couple raising a child and they have their own personality conflicts. So this reassuring group, it's addictive. Yeah. So I think that that is how, plus the fact that, you know, my grandparents, my mom's siblings are in this church. It just all fell into place. Yeah, you already had your little bubble so involved. It was a bubble. Yes. So the youth pastor, Jane, was putting pressure on my mom and my dad. And that's when, you know, I would have not really probably paid attention to her until up to that point. So that's when she became part of my consciousness. And who is Jane? So Jane's the youth pastor of the church and the connected school. Exactly, exactly. So she's obviously leading church youth group activities. And I honestly don't know how she slid into that position, because I believe that they very strictly held on to the portion of the Bible that talks about women shouldn't have authority over men. But so somehow she is smart enough to wiggle her way into this position of authority. I would say she's probably in her 30s at this point. She and the pastor's daughter are both unmarried women. So they have this home and they have the young unmarried women of the church who are, you know, in their teens and in their 20s. They live with Jane and the pastor's daughter. So what was accepted is, you know, they're teaching them godly principles. They're learning how to run a house. So at any point in time, there was at least three to four young women that are living in this house. So Jane holds Friday night youth meetings. And I don't believe that the pastor was very happy about this. He had told her over and over again that she was to limit the amount of time that she had these youth meetings, but their meetings would run into four and five and six hours. It was crazy. Yes. And they would have like testimonies and her talking slash preaching. And it was very Pentecostal in method in the fact that they said the spirit of God moved them. The spirit of God would speak through Jane and she would have words of wisdom. And so standing back as an adult and looking at it, I would say that they were on an emotional high. Mm -hmm. There's this feeling you're connected into divinity and you're on this emotional high. So slowly but surely, Jane begins to branch out her control from past the young unmarried members of the church. And she begins to pull in the young couples. And that would be where she begins to influence my parents that that I should be attending the church's school as opposed to the little other school that I was attending. So at this point, Jane, I'm just going to recap. So Jane is in charge of the female collective of women living in their home right, and preaching to the women. And then at some point, she's now starting to bring in other young couples into this youth group. Exactly. She does have the young men in her youth groups. Yeah, which is, you know, that's in direct defiance to most evangelical understanding of the scripture 
that a woman shouldn't have authority over a man. Yeah. So she had really cemented her position in the church. It's really unique to see a female pastor in this Very. type of scenario. And I wonder, though, if she is so devout in her faith and believes the female is submissive to the man or whatever, if she believes that so strongly, what was her justification for wanting to have a bigger leadership role in the church? And how did she not feel like this was going against God's word? So she would cite references of like Deborah in the book of Judges. Uh, God anoints Deborah to lead the Israeli army into victory. And if you look at scriptures, um, Jesus was more egalitarian than anything. He never cites that mm. um, the man should control the women. So it's really all about how you go into the Bible and read it. She was very astute in making her uh, case for power. And she knew how to pull those scriptures. She knew how to cherry pick. Yeah. Uh, she was very good at it. Mm -hmm. Wow. So she had this drive. She had this she did. deep motivation to rule and was willing to twist the narrative however it would be in her favor. Yes. So going back now to your parents getting involved in this group, how old are you at this point? So at this point, so I would have gone through first and second and third grade at the other little school. So I'm around the eight, roughly around the age of eight to nine. So at this point, my friend Billy, his mom and dad live closer to my house than they live to the church. So he's been going to this church since, you know, since he started school. Mm -hmm. So worked it out to where my mom would drop me off at a prearranged spot and I would ride with Billy and his mom to the school. And okay. so from fourth grade forward, I'm now attending the church's school. So now my life is completely surrounded in this bubble. So you're going to the church services on Tuesdays and Wednesdays and Friday nights and Saturday mornings and Sunday, however, however many there are. are you attending the church that many days a week? So I at that point, I wasn't going on Friday nights because that was for older because they talked about, of course, you know, they're going to get into the subject of sex and how that you're not supposed to lust after the opposite sex. And, you know, of course, they're going to go into more mature subjects because she was definitely controlling everybody's sex life. Oh, we'll get into that. <laughs> we'll get there <laughs> so, <laughs> so on tuesdays a big part of the body church what their beliefs were that the men and the women were separate as much as possible because sex was very taboo and i really don't have all of the whys and the wherefores but sex is very taboo okay even between married couples like if it, okay. it you know if you got pregnant you were literally looked down on what? Um, because yes, because you were giving in to carnal pleasures. Wait, okay. <laughs> yeah. So from my understanding of of like a lot of these fundamentalist religions is that you want to have children so that you can send your children, your army of children out to be soldiers for the Lord. So this is 
this is opposite than what opposite. I'm accustomed to hearing. So I let's let's go there, Julie. <laughs> Explain that for me. <laughs> not a problem. Not a problem. So I think if I think, and I'm conjecturing here. I believe that this all ties back into that thought process of being raptured. And remember, we're living in the end of times. Yes. And there's not a time to have a family. There's not a time to go to college. You get a job because you've got to feed yourself and you've got to put money in that offering plate. But okay. Um, if you are if you are carnal enough to be having sex with your um, partner, your wife or your husband, then um, you're thinking about being here on the earth and you are not living as if you're in the end times. And another uh, another description I've heard is that they felt like because the world's going to descend into chaos, that you really shouldn't bring a child into the world because uh -huh. what if you're hiding? And literally, this is the mindset they're putting people into is that it, it is very much so um, who are the people that st that have like bunkers? What are they called? They're called preppers, right? Oh, preppers. Yes. Yes. yes it's yes. very proper. Religious preppers. Oh, so you, okay. So you would prepare yourself like you're prepared for Armageddon because Armageddon is right around the corner. And so it would be very irresponsible of you to bring a child into this world when the child might not be able to survive Armageddon. And I think there were some weird beliefs about who, if a child can be raptured. And I really don't know the, oh, you know, like the whole breakdown yes. of that. Well, that's what my, my thought is. Okay. So if Armageddon's right around the corner and I'm a part of this church, I'm going to get saved and I'm going to go up to heaven. Let's just make my child be saved and go up to heaven too but maybe it doesn't work that way i guess there's something about i remember them talking about the age of understanding of when you are absolutely old enough to be able to accept christ into your heart so if you're not of that age then that child's going to be left on the earth and have to fend for themselves in the middle of Armageddon which is terrifying you know <laughs> Okay okay if you are justifying it and if you are you know subscribing to this belief it would make sense that you would not want to bring a child into the chaos of the end of the world Exactly exactly So what kind of implications did that have on your community so my understanding is that a lot of the men had vasectomies because, wow. you know, I mean, you're human, you're going to have sex. <laughs> so you're, you don't want to have children. So what do you do? You go take care of it, which is, like you said, is very much so against a lot of the more, you know, the patriarchal groups like the Quiverful and the ones that are repopulating to turn Christ army onto the earth. So they would voluntarily have vasectomies? I think there was a lot of pressure. I think there were some that did not want to. Yeah. And I know that people went and had them reversed, but still didn't have children. Wow. So did your parents, were they a believer of that? Did your dad have a vasectomy? 
No, he did not. So when my mom and dad came, they came in a very interesting juxtaposition of what was going on. Mm -hmm. So the pastor of the church, when we came, the male pastor, he felt that God was leading him away from this movement. And he felt that some of their doctrines were erroneous. I think maybe even some of like the whole vasectomy thing and the church having so much autonomy over Mm -hmm. its members, it was part of his reasoning. So he was trying to slowly but surely move his way out into probably more mainstream evangelical. And this definitely would not have been in line with Jane's plans for world domination. She Mm. was wanting more control over people's lives. So I personally think that that's why she began to relentlessly campaign to move people's loyalty away from him and to her. So my mom and dad would have come at the point in the time when vasectomies were no longer something that was pushed. And Jane was more on, so she would be, her ideology would be more along the lines of the quiverful and the patriarchal, randomly, the Mm -hmm. patriarchal thought process of having children to go out and to win the world for Christ. In that manner, she was more of a hopeful thinker. Mm, okay, so it kind of the ideology of the, of the church as a whole kind of shifted once you guys were in it. Okay, gotcha. Yes. So where was Jane in the leadership ranks when you started attending the school? So she was still in the role of the youth pastor. If I anybody had asked me to point out the person that was um, the boss, I would have pointed to her because she was more into the day-to-day running of the church. She had an office. People came to her with questions. So the older pastor, the older male pastor, he nominates a younger man to be the pastor. But she, of course, undermined him very okay. you know. So she has her she has an inner circle of people and these people are the ones that they spy on people. They are constantly letting her know, Mm -hmm. you know, they're her gang, her entourage. Yeah. (laughs) They kept her fed with information and, you know, she would just, she would have people drive by people's houses and check to see where they were. So it's beginning to get very, very culty in here. What were they looking for? Like, are you home? What are you doing? They want to know who's talking to who. Okay. You know, who else is at your house? And because another important part, which would be a way that they controlled the flow of information was they did not believe in having televisions. So this is probably harking back to the 50s when, as far as like older people would have seen a television as like a way to erode standards that uh, were held. So this is played off of this. It's worldly. It's introducing and exposing you to worldly sin that might send you to hell. Exactly. So you're not allowed to have a television. You're very strictly dressing. Women's skirts have to be below their knees. You always wore pantyhose. Your collarbones can't show. The clothing cannot be form-fitting. For a long time, the older women put their 
their hair up on their head. Like if you see, and they still do it, the United Pentecostals and the women are wearing their hair up on their head. Mm-hmm. Very much so that. I'm going back to the people who are watching you at the house. Are they like going to the house to see like if you have a TV on or if yes. you're wearing pants? Like, yes. Catch you in the act? Exactly. Oh, exactly. Wow. Yes. So they would drive by and yes, they would look to see if they, you know, how like if you've watched somebody's watching TV and you drive by their house, you see the flashing lights. Yes. They would be looking for that. Yes. Yeah. You always had that feeling that someone was always watching. So I want to ask, you said that, you know, most people aren't interested in furthering their education and expanding their mind. I would love to know what you were learning at school then. You're attending this interconnected school with the church. What are you learning and what's a part of the curriculum? So it is this very terrible curriculum and you can actually do research for it online. It's called ACE and it's terrible. Oh, it's ACE. Not sci- yes, I've yeah. heard of it. Yes. yes, yes. If you're a fundamentalist, you're a card holding member of ACE. Oh, wow. <laughs> And I hate to say it, and this bothers, this is the portion that bothers my brother the most. It's very much so racist. Like the white children go to one school and the African-American children go to another school. And that is very terrible. So it's the curriculum is made up of these little self-contained booklets. And you had one for math. You had one for history. You had one for English. And then you just had a straight up one where you literally just read it was called bible studies i believe you read the bible the king james bible only the king james only the king james why would you ever read anything (laughs) right one that was highly influenced for political reasons but anyway i digress exactly exactly (laughs) yes so as part of the each little booklet they like would have cartoons that would go throughout the book and it would be like a little cartoon strip at the bottom it'd be of every other page okay and the cartoon would talk about different things of like biblical standards. So it's representing these children in this fictional school. And that is where that comes in. The sad part is in this comic strip, you have the white children going to one school and the black children are going to a toe. There's no, it's not, it's segre, it's segregated. It's so they're pushing segregation in this little fundamentalist curriculum. <gasps> My brother actually picked up on this, and I don't know if this is just a very weird coincidence or if somebody that's a writer for The Simpsons was subjected to this curriculum. You know, the pastor on The Simpsons is called uh, Lovejoy. Uh huh. So that's the name of the pastor in the little curriculum's comic strip. Really? I think that that's somebody on their writing team. Oh, definitely. <laughs> that's a very because, specific name. You just don't like make right? that up. <laughs> no. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Oh, my God. So you're given these booklets. You're following this curriculum. What lens are you looking through these subjects? Because there's an extreme level of of what is being taught in these curriculums. So what can you like walk us through? Like what were some of the ideas that you were learning in these packets? 
So with the ACE curriculum, it was very Eurocentric, I'm sure, as far as the, you know, the white population was the main stars of the history. I remember that my brother has talked about some horrifying tidbits, but I myself honestly don't remember them. I was not paying a lot of attention to these books because I preferred the reading that I was getting Yeah! (laughs) Wow! So, I'm sad to say, if I went back and reread it, I know I would be horrified because it would be very entitled white privilege. I I just know it because, you know, that unfortunately does wind its way through a lot of evangelicals. Okay. And also, it was not science based at all. The science was horrible. Very much so creationism. Nothing mm-hmm. else was ever taught. It was taught that any type of scientific method of trying to find, you know, the exact age of things was off. You know, God created the earth. Yeah. So there's no lectures at all. And I would have been a student that would have much more benefited from lecture style learning can you elaborate more on what you mean by no lectures? Like what did a typical school day look like for you? So the way that they did this, there are these desks that are built against the wall of the schoolroom. And it's like a little teeny tiny cubicle. So you have little dividers between each child. And mm-hmm. the child sits there all day long and they are learning purely from reading. They're reading and they're doing, so they pace themselves. So little did they know they were, they were COVID appropriate before COVID hit. (laughs) (laughs) So I think the mindset of these people was that because you have people there that are running the school that are not accredited teachers. It's very shady. I would always encourage anybody that's looking to put their child in a Christian school, you need to go through and you need to deep dig and make Mm. sure everybody graduated from Mm -hmm. college with a degree. Mm -hmm. So that is what this curriculum is built for. It's built so the child sits there and teaches themselves. It's very lazy. And when Jane takes over, she is all about indoctrinating from a young age. So she's very interested. And she also knows that younger children, as such as childcare, bring in money. This is a big moneymaker. Now, I want to know, though, are they starting to introduce biblical teachings in this daycare at such a young age. Yes, they would have. It was openly Christian, you know, and that's why a lot of people put their children in there Mm. is because they like the idea of a faith-based childcare. So now I want to go back inside your school walls. So, or more like maybe inside your little cubby. That is your desk. (laughs) So are you sitting there all day long or do you have any type of like extracurricular activities like gym, like art as a part of your school day? So, yes, we would have two 15 minute breaks where you could get up from your little cubicle and you could go and talk. And now bear in mind that they are very much so monitoring the interaction between males and females. Mm. You can talk to the boys, but you cannot touch them. There is a six inch rule, you know, ever. And at lunchtime, you never sit with the boys. The girls sit together and the boys sit together. Okay. 
And at the end of the day, you would change from because we're wearing sweater vests and Peter Pan collars and plaid skirts that mm-hmm. are below our knees. Mm-hmm. You change into very modest culottes, which are those long skirt-like pants. Yes. Are, are they actually skirts? No, they are divided, but you can oh, okay. barely tell it. It was very important because women were not to wear pants. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So what were friendships like in this school? If you can't spend too much time talking to each other, how did you form your friendships? What was that like? For me, I didn't form a lot of friendships with anyone who wasn't tied deeply into the church Mm. because it was very much so discouraged. So why, you know, why bother? But there's three boys, Billy and John and Ryan and three girls, including myself, Sean and her sister, Tara, that I'm great friends with. We were young teenagers like 13 or 14, but we began to organize. (laughs) We realized that we could help each other out. And if you enjoy life, then you needed to form this little quiet group. And we did. So at this point, we transitioned from the larger city to a smaller city underneath Jane's leadership. Okay. By now, factions of people have left because they would have been, you know, loyal to the male pastor that passed away. And also Jane, I mean, she drove the people she didn't like. She drove them off because mm-hmm. if you weren't going to submit. Then she didn't want you there. You know, she wants people that are going to shut up, pay, work, and, you know, do her bidding. Mm-hmm. So we began to understand that if we could help each other out, we benefited more than being at odds with each other. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we would come up with ways to have each other's backs. Like, and th- so this is obviously the age before cell phones and texting. If you knew that somebody was about to get into trouble at in the church services, we had a word that we would stand up because there were testimonials as part of the church service. We would stand up and we would say the certain word. <laughs> really? Do you remember any of the words? They were all geographical, biblical geography. Wow. So you stood up and you would throw in the word of a desert. And that meant that Billy was in trouble. Or if Sean was in trouble, you would say another town. And you as you had to work it in as part of your testimony. So you're uh-huh. standing up. You're talking about how the Lord enriched your life and you got to work in a... A biblical (laughs) geolocation. Oh my God. (laughs) That takes some skill. But you were looking out for each other. We did. We did. We really did. Okay, Julie, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to dive into your relationship with Jane. Without the modesty... This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. So, Julie, I would love to know at this point as a teenager, what is your relationship like with? Jane. She is your 
leader. She is very connected to this group of kids. What was your personal relationship like with Jane? So I would characterize it as very tenuous. She is actually my second cousin removed. Oh, Yeah, it's weird. Weird little insight there. Her mother and my grandfather were siblings. Okay. And that did bring about some weird tension because my grandfather was a huge supporter of the older male pastor. Okay. Now that as an adult, as I look back, I can see that because the older male pastor, he was a nice man. He was... He was involved in a very fundamentalist, you know, occult, but Mm -hmm. he was working his way through trying and he was fair with people. He was kind within his parameters. He was a good man as Mm -hmm. much as much as you can be. So my grandfather would have been one of those people who was a supporter. He did not like his niece. So she was never my fan. Yeah. Because I do believe she is a narcissist. I believe she's hardcore. Narcissist. So they flip back and forth and randomly they'll just pick somebody and they just persecute that person and mm. keep the level of control. And also I would think like that, the whole thing they talk about, the cycle of the abuser, you know, you have your blow up and then you re- reconcile. So that was always constantly revolving that whole little cycle. Mm-hmm. But we would try to, as much as we could, if we knew that she was upset or she was on the prowl to try to catch one of the other ones out, we would call and say, hey, you know, so-and-so, she's looking at you. Yeah. You said that she's kind of like out to get you. Like, what were some of the things that she was watching you for? So it would be super random. Okay. So obviously we're playing by the rules. Like you, you don't want to because she would publicly humiliate you. Oh, wow. In the middle of the church services, like whoever she was mad at, she wouldn't always call them out. Sometimes she would call them out, but she would stand up at the pulpit and as part of her sermon or whatever you want to call it, she would start describing this person and everybody knew who it was. And it, it was very humiliating. There was one time she like, she called me a witch. I, I can't remember what I had done. Like, I guess she thought I had was in a bad mood and I had air quotes influenced the service with my attitude. What? I mean, yeah. I'm like, how did I do that? But I want to say, I remember her like looking at me and saying, you know, you you are a bringing a witch spirit into this place and you have allowed Satan to work through you. I was like, okay. <laughs> wow. And I remember like the, the prayer services, like they would pray the demons out of you. And I will say, I've seen some odd things. I've seen some odd stuff. Okay. Uh, You're welcome to go as odd as, <laughs> you know, go, go into the oddness. <laughs> This would be cycling back to when we were at the old property. And this is when she would have been like gaining power, but yet the older male pastor would have been in charge. They had this young, he would have been part of the youth group. And I want to say that they were accusing him of having lust demons. I don't remember. I, I would have been about five, six or seven at this point. So because they considered it, air quotes, catching, the children were pushed back to the back part of the church. So Billy and John and Ryan and I would have been sitting back in the back of the church. And we loved it because we were playing, you know, we like, we had toys and we were playing. Mm -hmm. 
And I remember like standing up because we were inside of like a little booth. I remember standing up and looking over because the weirdest noises were coming out of this man, like guttural. It was uh, like right now I've got, I've got chill bumps because it was freaky shit. Something was happening to him, but he was like gutturally making weird, very weird noises. So, and that's what they would call like the demon coming out of you. Huh? It was weird. Weird stuff. Mm. So Jane was very much so into the laying on of hands. So that's, you know, that basic Pentecostal, you know, that's like one of their practices where healing the sick and exactly yeah. mm-hmm. anoint you with oil. And there, I will say there were some tender moments. So it's not all just dark, you know, exorcism, hatred. They had some people that were sick and they would bring them up to the front of the church and there were some moments of love where they would hmm. anoint them, pray for them. So there were those moments. Yeah. So when I was a teenager, I was a pretty active member of my Catholic youth group. And we would go and rake leaves for the elderly. We ran a soup kitchen, all of your typical volunteer type activities. So I'm wondering, what was your youth group like? What did you guys do when you got together as teenagers? I will say she did have some moments where they did some refurbishment um, projects for some older people. But uh, looking back now, I know that it was purely because she was always courting older people because she wanted their money. Mm -hmm. She would wiggle her way in and act like a child of theirs in hopes that they were going to leave her their money when they died. When they died? Yeah. She wanted to like be in their will. Exactly. Yes. Yes. Wow. She's a good narcissist. She's a good cult leader. She has several projects going on at one time. She would start stuff and just watch it play out. She's good. She's really good. And then her mainstay would be her that everyone that was part of the youth group, the younger unmarried people, and then eventually married, they all clean buildings for her. Okay. So I was required to start when I was about, I want to say I was about nine or 10. Clean buildings like a janitor cleans buildings? Like a janitor cleans buildings, yes. So you've just been in this one to two, pretty much usually two, two and a half hour church service. You're now headed down to a facility that's 30 to 40 minutes away. You've got to clean this and it takes about an hour, an hour and a half to clean. So for the most part, we were getting home 11, 12 at night. And so, you know, we're young children, you're exhausted. And that was one way she kept control is when you're at that point of exhaustion, you don't have a lot of time to Mm -hmm. think through your life decisions. Jane would have these contracts with buildings in the town and they were cleaning contracts. And instead of hiring adults, she would use the children of the church. So, yes. So most facilities have that type of floor where you have to strip the wax off and you have to lay a new layer of wax and then you run a machine over it and it gets it to that high sheen. So the chemical or the compound that they use to strip that old wax off, you should be always wearing like, you know, the N95 mask. You should be as if you're, you're, you're dealing with dangerous chemicals. And we never did. You know, we would touch it with our bare hands. 
yeah, God knows what, you know, what we've done to ourselves for that. But was there any adult supervision when you would be sent to these offices to clean? So, yes. So the, the group of young people that would be like four to five to six, 10 years older than us. So we're riding with them because most of us aren't to the age where we can even drive yet. So it's very, very important to note that I can count on two hands the amount of times. And you want to bear in mind that I was cleaning for her from the age of like nine or 10 until I was 30. That I count on two hands the amount of times that I saw Jane come and clean her own buildings. So it was slave labor. It was slave labor and she reaped the full reward. She never paid us. We never made money off of it. You have these older set of young people who are using their own cars. They're driving 20, 30, 40 minutes and using their own gas to get down there and come back. And there's never any, there was never any expectation of being paid. It was, she got everything. How many kids were sent to one building at a time? So she did have multiples. So when we first started out, there was, it was a construction company and we would clean that. And there was on the, in the same little uh, strip, there was another construction company on the other end. So half of us would go into the first building and the other half would go into the second building. So if we were lucky, like you had a group of about eight people, four could go to one, four could go to the other. And she began to add more buildings. She began to get greedy. So by the time I left, she had the two construction companies, a doctor's office, a massive, and I mean, this thing was huge. So I want to say that when I left, there was at least four to five buildings. So I would be in my older teens. This is now in my 20s because we left when I was 29. And you're still cleaning into your 20s. Yes, yes. We had to go before service because they had to be cleaned twice a week. And we would clean the buildings. We would come back. And this is like a 20 to 30 minute trip back. Go to church where she was at this point. She's pretty much just yelling and doing all kinds of crazy crap. These church services would last way into the night. And so if we were lucky, she would let us out around 10, 1030 at night. We now have to go and clean the second set of buildings. Oh. So on Wednesdays, it was nonstop. And I was lucky if I would get home at about one o'clock at night. Then. I would have to get up and because I worked in the school, I would have to get up and come in in the morning and start my job where I worked for free. So what is your mental health like at this point? You're tired, you're exhausted, and you're never, ever fulfilling your own needs. So definitely, I was very grouchy with my family Uh at this point. So now a majority of her first youth group would have scaled away. They have become fed up and they've gone on to leave. So she's down to her main peeps, her main entourage. In her house, she has a married couple. Then she has two single girls that are in the process of possibly getting married. She did off and on have some other single ladies that would kind of float back and forth and they would call her mom. And They would sit around and talk with her and have coffee. And pretty much what they were doing was plotting how to keep control of everybody's lives. They filled her in on all the gossip. 
they told her what they thought. So they were like her little group of advisors. Yeah. So one of these ladies, she is the mother of my friend Ryan. So she's there constantly. And and I remember this and it just came to me and it breaks my heart that this little boy that he's only, you know, 13, 12, 13, 14, and he has very bad um, breathing problems. And he didn't feel well all the time. He had to be on steroids because he had such bad asthma. I remember walking past and he's laying on the floor asleep in her home because he's exhausted. He's so tired. He can't go home. His mom won't go home because she's busy sucking up to Jane. And here he is on a school night laying on the floor sleeping. It's just heartbreaking. Mm. So this main little group of um, young people, so it would have been Billy, Sean, Tara, and I, and Ryan, and John. So we're helping the older young people clean, and you're exhausted all the time. So she had been ramping up to... she wanted to have a second round of her glory days, like she did with the first set of young people. She was going to turn them into a, a powerhouse for, you know, air quotes, God, which really was her. Mm-hmm. She's becoming very mean. So she's like really calling people out all the time. There's all kinds of services and laying on of hands and, you know, preaching and casting out of demons. And to add insult to injury, she was having us participate in this competition amongst the little fundamental school groups. And it was called State. And what it was is all the little fundamental schools would get together. Mm, You would do speeches or you would sew things. And we would stay up till one, two, three o'clock in the morning trying to finish these projects or practice the speech that we're giving. And then you have to get up in the morning and you have to go to school. You're exhausted. This is oh my exhausting. gosh, I can't tell you. So we go to state and we do so well that she decides we're going to go and compete in the international forum. So we go out to Arizona and we do very well. And I'll never forget this. Ryan did a ventriloquist act and he won first. Wow. Yes. And there is a picture somewhere and I'll have to, I'll have to find it. And it's of him holding the trophy and he's so happy. And I hold that in my heart because that, that helps me. And I feel bad because I was not paying attention. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm paying more attention to my own troubles. But I believe that towards October, September, October, he must have been going down mentally. I guess, I don't know, his will for life was gone. Mm. And so I remember my mom woke me up and this would have been November and she's crying. And she, all she would say to me is, Lord is coming back very soon. And I'm like, what is wrong? And she's like, no, just the Lord is coming back. So I wrote to school with Taryn Sean's mom, which was odd. I would not have normally done that. We pull into the parking lot of the school and there's this huge group of people. And Jane is standing there and she's crying and she's hugging. And I honestly don't know what I thought. I was just standing there and then somebody said, Ryan is dead. Mm. And I just started, I started screaming. I remember just screaming. Mm -hmm. And um, 
And that's all I remember. And just standing there. And I think it was Sean. I was I was hugging Sean and she's screaming and I'm screaming. Hmm. And um, you know, it just and then as the day goes on, the details begin to filter in of what had happened. Hmm. Jane, you know, she was very obviously in the midst of this horrible tragedy that she's responsible for. She's out there making sure she has her PR spin on and um, in making sure that she gets the story to the parents because, you know, it, it, somebody should have been terribly alarmed. And I don't know why no one was. I don't know why there wasn't more of a police investigation. I don't know. I mean, what was she telling the parents that he had found a gun in the field? which is just dumb. It's just dumb. And that he had shot himself accidentally. And to my understanding is that no, there was a note and it was very deliberate. There was nothing accidental about Mm. it. She was spinning it in the midst of this child's death. She was spinning it. I mean, that's just what a narcissist is. They don't care. They don't care. How much of a role do you believe the church laid into Ryan's well-being and all of it all of it it. I hold them a hundred percent responsible for that I it's he was he was abused as far as he wasn't he was neglected he wasn't cared for his mother was desperate to be loved by Jane and didn't even know that this child existed really and truly And I believe that he always had a plan to leave because he never phrased anything with himself being in the future at the church, but something came along and I don't know, maybe it was, maybe it was chemical. Maybe he suffered from depression and we didn't know it, but something came along and made him feel like he couldn't even wait until he was old enough to be on his own and Mm -hmm. he, he ended it. And how old was he? I want to say he was 15, going to turn 16. Hmm. He's so young. So young. So yeah. young. Taking yes. Finding faith in what will be. Being modest, sharing the pain. Didn't do justice to my story What was your life like after that? How do you continue to participate in a church that kind of contributed to your best friend's death? I will say, okay, so this is where cult leaders and narcissists are very smart. They know when that moment has come where there is a break, there's a big incident, there's a blowout that they love bomb you afterwards. I was just turning 18 or I was past turning 18. So I'm beginning to decide what to do with my life at this point. So I will say that Jane, she became a different person. She was loving. She was kind. There were no harsh church services. It was more of like a family-like atmosphere. And so 
when you've been hit with a tragedy like that and you're exhausted, when life gets better, you don't start thinking about leaving anymore. You're like, oh, okay, well, the tide has turned and things are better. You know, it was at a terrible price. But uh, life is better. But of course, that's never going to be the truth. So it, it wasn't too long after that. Sean, Tara, Billy, they all left. I came into work to work into the, the school the next morning. And Jane's little henchwoman, her main little evil person, told me that they had let Jane know that they were leaving and that they were done with the church. And it was the fallout was pretty bad. So who of your family is, is left? It's you, your mom, and your brother? So my dad, my mom, and my brother and I are left in the church. And also one of my mom's siblings and okay. his wife is still in. And during this time period, my mom's other sibling would have left as well. He, he took his family and they left. So you've just had this massive, within about three to four years time, you've had this massive walk away. Yeah, And she becomes very much so more domineering, more controlling. We hit the point of 2006. And for some reason, she just did not like me at this point. She was like, I, about every fourth service, I was the main topic. And bear in mind, I'm by myself. All my contemporaries are gone. So I'm very isolated and I was very suicidal at this point. Mm -hmm. So I'm about 24, 25, 26, 27. I was trying to find a reason to live. So this would be when, you know, the operation in Iraq, there was an organization that would, you would like write them encouraging letters and I would knit, like there was one soldier that was telling me, you know, his wife was having a, she's going to have a baby. So I crocheted them a baby blanket and sent Aww. it over and I like interacted with them. And I don't know why I picked that. It was random. I guess maybe like I felt like a connection with people who are under a high pressure. And so I just so happened to start talking to this one uh, soldier and he's like, so tell me about yourself. What's going on? You know, and he's telling me and, you know, he's telling me about his wife and, you know, it, it, then all this stuff they have going on at home. So I started telling him, you know, like I pretty much attend church. I work in, I work in the school that's, you know, owned by the church. And he's like, well, what are your goals? And, you know, what, what do you want to do after this? And I was like, there's not anything after this. And he's like, what? Wow. He was a youth pastor himself. So he must have started picking up on something. And he's like, what are they paying you to work in that school? And it was like, nothing. And he's like, what? And so he started actively getting me out of there. Really? Yes. This guy that's on the front lines in Iraq, you know, he's like going out daily and, yes. risking his life. and he's like coming back and trying to get this poor little person out of a cult. Was this through letters or was this through phone calls? This is through letters. And we would also email each other back and forth. Uh-huh. So he like started, he initiated like a check-in. He's like, I'm going to check on you and I'm going to uh, make sure that you're okay. And he probably picked up on the fact that I was like suicidal too. And so he's like, you're going to get a plan and you're getting out of there. Wow. He <laughs> said that exact. What? God yeah. bless his heart. Oh my God. Isn't that amazing? I'm like, yes, sir. Yes, yes. sir. Yes, sir. Wow. Okay, so I like, st I started talking to my mom and I'm like, I laid it on the line. I said, we either leave this place or I'm going to kill myself. So we did. So thanks to this soldier that's in the middle of 
a battlefield and just took initiative to get me out. Yeah. It's, you know, it's one of those things where, I mean, I believe that people are brought together, you know, for a reason and for whatever reason you were drawn to this organization to help these soldiers like it it was in turn they helped you you know and this might have also helped him too to know that he could help you get out exactly and he did he did we stayed in contact for a little while afterwards and he was like making sure that i was like assimilating and you know handling the pressure of coming out from such a high control group and then we just eventually lost touch, but it was, it was, it was, I needed it. It was yeah. the person that got me out. So what was Jane's response though? You were there so long and your family was there for so long. How did Jane respond to this? So what we did was we had a very specific plan. We wrote a letter to her and we told her that we were done and that we wished her no ill will, which I totally renege on that. I don't mean that. I wish her every, <laughs> every ill will. <laughs> Unfortunately, we lived on the same street with other church members. So we're very easily traceable. So we put this letter on the church door. I taped it myself to the church door. <gasps> And we had some of her things. So we made sure we returned everything that was hers, left it underneath the letter on the church door. And we went to see my dad's family in Alabama. And we stayed there for a few days to just like talk about what we wanted. Yeah. So my brother has to make his decisions of like, does he want to go to college or, you know, what's going to go on? And now, so the main, the big pressure is me because I was working in the school. So now I have to go from living my entire life in this controlled world and I have to get a job. That was terrifying. It hurt. Yeah. Trying to explain 11 years of volunteer work, that does not work on a resume, let me tell you. Yeah. Side question, though, how... How did you get a job after this? <laughs> so thankfully, my mom, the school's not accredited. So no, no, no. And I haven't gone, you know, I've taken some college classes, but I didn't graduate. I don't have a degree. So thankfully, the school system my mom works in, they had a substitute program where you went through an intense background check. But as long as you had graduated from high school, you could be like an emergency stand in. So I, that's what I did. I went to all of the classes and I was a substitute teacher where my mom was working out at the special education school. And that is some of the best memories of my life because it was a different type of school because they had special needs. Plus they had the moms that had had babies while they were still in school and it didn't run like a a real school. It was like, it was a party every day. <laughs> oh, that's great. And I had to have that. That's what I needed. So that gave me the courage to like keep stepping. And and then too, so on the other side, you know, on the other side of the tunnel, you've got all of these people who have left the church and they're waiting for you. And that was the coolest experience. It's oh. reunited with all of these people. So from there, I, while I was working at the school, I'm having a hard time like meeting people my own age to possibly have a relationship. 
So one of the other substitute teachers, she's like, uh, you need to try eHarmony because I've had really good luck on there. Ooh. So <laughs> yeah. That's how, yeah. That's how I met my husband. Yeah. And we've really? been years. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. It, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I mean, as challenging as it was to finally get out, your life really only went up from there. I'm just, I'm so happy to hear that. And yes. that it's, it's hard. Fortunate. It's yeah. really hard, especially when you're trying to undo everything that you've learned and, yes. you know, everything that you've known for your entire life is now gone, but it's, it is for the better. It's hard to transition out of it, but it's for your own good. Like it's, it's good for you. Yeah. So I, I want to ask where is Jane now? So yeah, I would say like randomly every around the fall of every year, I get super stocky and I go stock them all online. <laughs> and I find them too. Like, man, I'm all over it. I've got Google searches. I've got yes. Google alerts. So they are still there. They are still running the school. And from the reviews I found online, which it, it hurts me really bad, They'll, they're still hurting children. There mm. was a girl I saw posted a review on the school and she was talking about the exact same things that we all experienced. And I, I don't know this girl. I never met her. So you have this whole crop of new people that she is still terrorizing and mm. she is still doing evil. She is an evil, evil human being. What do you think we can do about this? Because... She is still at the head of so many young people's lives. And what can be done to prevent or even just to like shut this down? So I will say there was uh, a group that they would have come out from other parts of this cult that are in other parts of the country. It was like where survivors would gather and they would talk amongst themselves. And that helps so much. You. If when yeah. you leave a high control group, you've got to have somebody that's been there with you. Mm -hmm. Like I remember seeing a, a commercial for a soldier and they were talking about post-traumatic stress, which I have been diagnosed with. I do have post-traumatic mm -hmm. And he's like coming home and he's by himself and he's isolated and there's nobody around him. But all of a sudden somebody comes up and I'll start crying because it really is like you just don't understand unless you've been there somebody comes up and wraps their arms around him and he starts crying. And that is how a support group feels. And you have to have it. You have to talk with people that have experienced similar trauma as you. So I posted on this. I told my story. I named names. I told dates because it was in my heart to just break this open and get these people out of there. And I sent it to her. I can't remember if I sent it or somebody else. Like it, it was with my consent. I was like, yeah, send her it. Let her know that we're telling the world what she has done. Wow. And she threatened to sue me. She threatened to take away my parents' house. People were banging on the door and one woman tried to come into the house to come get me. They were that angry. Oh, wow. Because you were still kind of living nearby. Exactly. This I would have still been living nearby. And my mom just begged me. She's like, please, please stop. And so I continued to write about it. I did for several years. I had a blog 
And I would just, as things would come up, I would write about it. And that in itself helped me because I was looking for content to add into the blog. And I discovered this incredible group of writers. And this would have been around 2009, who just so happened to be on their own journey. One was, her name is Rachel Held Evans. And She's since passed away, but she was on her own journey to uh, out of evangelical. She was finding the discrepancies of the evangelical lifestyle and uh, how they actually treat people. And that just helped me because I went on that journey with her. And so I found this incredible group of people and they were on Facebook. They would talk to you. Uh, Matthew, Paul Turner, Zach Hunt, they're amazing people that just so happen to be coming out of that fundamentalist lifestyle themselves and questioning. And that helps me to ask my own questions. So I had to become smart because I couldn't let her sue me. So I honestly wish that there was something that can be done. But in America, these horrible people have the freedom because churches are, you know, they're not monitored, which is a good and a bad thing. It's a double-sided coin. You know, people seemingly are freely there of their own will. She is free to do as she pleases. And she is a bitter old bitch. And she's going to live forever because she's so mean. She will keep on going until the bitter, bitter, bitter end. She will. So I am wondering if you could give any advice to younger Julie, what would be something that you would share with her? The thing that helps me is I really don't see any other way that my life could have before we left could have played out with me leaving earlier because my parents were so entrenched. They weren't going to leave earlier and I wasn't going to leave my brother. So I feel like I came out of that with winning, you know, I, I won on that. So I would just tell my younger self to, you know, you just got to hold on. And it it seems like it's never going to end, but it does. Now, I will say for if anyone is listening and they are a part of a high control group for the love of God, get out, get out, get out, get out. You're in danger. You don't know when people are going to snap. You don't know what's going to happen. And the best thing you can do is to... Find somehow, some way, somebody who can support you and get out. And then once you're out, you've got to surround yourself with people because you will go back in. You have to have a support system. Wow. I do have a quote that I would read is from the lady that, and I credit her. She's my patron saint, and that's Rachel Held Evans. And she says, the truth is, You can bend scripture to say just about anything you want it to say. You can bend it until it breaks. For those who count the Bible as sacred, interpretation is not a matter of whether to pick and choose, but how to pick and choose. We're all selective. We all wrestle with how to interpret and apply the Bible to our lives. We all go to the text looking for something, and we all have a tendency to find it. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this, are we reading with the prejudice of love, with Christ as our model, or are we reading with the prejudices of judgment, power, self-interest, and greed? Are we seeking to enslave 
or liberate, burden or set free. And if I could read anything to Jane, it would be that because that is the truth. She used the Bible to enslave people. And I hope she burns somewhere because of it. Julie, on that incredible quote, I think we have covered everything that we could possibly talk about. This conversation has been amazing. I just thank you for your bravery and I thank you for your vulnerability and sharing. And I know that you are going to help others. So thank you for coming on to our show and sharing with us your life. Thank you so much for hosting a platform to where people can speak and tell their stories. So I'm hoping that like me, you just randomly stumble across somebody's story or you run into somebody who picks up on what's going on and they've got enough information to get you out of this control group. And I, I hope I hope with all my heart that my story helps somebody else to come out of a, a controlling situation. All right, Julie. Well, it's been amazing. I will talk to you soon. Sounds great. You have a good day. You too. Bye. Bye. (laughs) Thanks for tuning into our podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or review wherever you listen to your podcast and follow us on Instagram at The Modesty Files for updates and bonus content. Special thanks to our female power squad, Amanda, Allison, Caroline, and Sophie for helping us with this episode. Our theme music is written by Savannah Kunze. If you would like to get in touch with us, send an email to info at themodestyfiles.com. Thanks for listening. See you next week. I'm not ashamed of who I was and